0: Father, in your word in Psalm 119 and verse 130, you said, the unfolding of your word gives light. You you said that it imparts understanding to the simple. And Lord, I humble myself before you because it's you that takes the simple things and makes them wise. And this morning, Lord, as I speak, I pray to be hidden you and that you would speak, that your words would prosper in our being, that your words would change, that your words would encourage, that your words would impart light and life. Thank you for you are faithful who promised In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning's message I have entitled Marriage is God's Doing. And while that's broad in title, it's purposely meant to be broad in title and as we as we have looked at over the past uh, few weeks about that i dare say we haven't even skimmed the surface of the profoundness and of the magnificence of what god instituted i felt even as i researched and even as uh, i prepared for this i really felt unqualified in light of the one who ordained it. But that's a good thing, because it drove me to him. It drove me to bend the knee to him and say, God, let me never sell you short or what you do in our personal lives or in the lives of us as couples and as families and so in talking about marriage it's not to the exclusion of the singles because marriage is a representation of our relationship with the lord no one is exempt and so what you may see god doing in a couple guess what it has ramifications for for those who are single So, in saying marriage is God's doing, I chose for my text, our text, if you will, from Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. Took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." One of the things that that God recognized when he had placed man in the garden, he said it is not good for man to be alone. Period. No man, no person is meant to be an island unto himself. Relationship was very much on God's heart and was very much demonstrated in the communion that he had with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. So when he saw that, it was, that man in the garden here was alone and he said it was not good, he decided to do something about it. He did do something about it. He was very decisive. And for these words here in in verse 24, where he says, uh, a man shall leave his wife, his, his, his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife. Those words are significant in terms of God joining them together when I looked up that, that wording, it's, it's like God joining, like melding two metals together. In Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul writes about the husband and wife and then he relates it to Christ and the church, he said, this is a profound mystery. And so... And so, even so much to the fact that the disciples in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus references the same verses. The, 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 the Pharisees are there and they're talking to him about divorce. And, and Jesus cites these same passages here. But the, but the disciples said, Wow, if that's what marriage is, if it's that serious. It's better not to marry. That's what they said. They didn't comprehend. They didn't understand it. But they did understand the significance of it, that it was serious. So what he did when he says, the two And the two shall become one flesh. God's words indicate a far more miraculous thing that he did of making the two one. And I don't I don't get that. I don't understand it. But when he spoke that, that's what he said happened. The two shall become one. One flesh. It's his design, it's for his glory, and it is the displaying of himself and reflects the relationship that he desires and wants us to grow up with him. We see here that in this set of verses that after uh, he created woman that he says that he brought her to the man. And I like to think of that in some ways as God presenting his daughter to Adam. I don't want to make it hard and fast but here we see that God. However, he chose to do that, walked, presented Eve to Adam. And when uh, whenever I'm invited to a to a wedding, I I find myself getting very teary-eyed as I see the bride being escorted down the aisle and presented to the bridegroom because that's the representation of what will happen when he comes back for his church. Her splendor And so in saying marriage is God's doing, it's from Him, it's to Him, and it's for His glory. And um, so I want to say this because this next statement here, this, is, this verse is found in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. And it's been a while since I have heard this verse quoted but I think in terms of spiritual proclamations, it's it's a good one. And it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Thank you. And this is vitally important and equally important too. And shall obtain, not maybe, shall obtain the favor of the Lord. So, what does that say about the significance of marriage? Let me give you another verse just to reference that. In Proverbs chapter 8, it says, Blessed is the man who hears me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the po- posts of my doors. For whoso finds me finds life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. That's significant. The favor of the Lord, the acceptance of the Lord, that's huge. And the purpose, the purpose for the wife, if you will, is to be a help me, to, to to compliment him. And in essence, to complete him. I know, you know what, I'm, I'm grateful for my wife because I find areas that I am lacking in, but she does compliment me. She's a great cook, that's just one. <laughs> contrast that with mine <laughs> A little humor there <clears throat> favor the favor of the lord to have access to be to have acceptance to have his ear A while back in Tom's message when he spoke on marriage, doing it God's way, he, re- he made a remark in there that, um, that really struck me. And I think, uh, and, and it, it had to do with husbands, the verse in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he used the wording, regularly challenged. I have to be honest with you, I don't like to be regularly challenged. As a matter of fact, I like to recline to comment. But regularly challenged, because it's in my nature that I want to, I just want to stop. I want to hang out but it's all too easy for me to just want to set god isn't there an autopilot that can this can happen with and you just and just coast along no no regularly challenged and he said this every man should tremble at those words i can only say for myself I don't believe I have trembled enough. But I would challenge you husbands, myself included, to put this out on a card and put it on that well-known landmark in the kitchen that you open up to and get a glass of milk out or a bowl of ice cream out of the refrigerator. Because I can tell you on any given day innumerably, well, that's a gross exaggeration, I do frequent the path of the refrigerator. (laughs) So if it's there for my eyes to see and I frequent that, then guess what? I said it before and I say it again. In a passage like that, I want to be marinated with that verse. I want that verse to sink in. If it is God's doing, then I want Him to do it. But that means I have to present myself. That means I have to let him do the basting. That means I let, have to let what he says simmer and sink into my heart and let him do his work. And that word will prosper if I give him access to do that. And when I read those words, I find that it brings me and it brings us men to the end of ourselves. And it says to me, I can't do this on my own, Lord, without Him it's impossible. Without him, it doesn't end well. Because without him, there's only one other option and that's this, to be carnally minded. And in Romans 8, verse 6, he contrasts the outcome of being spiritually minded versus being carnally minded. To be spiritually minded, to have his perspective, is life and peace. I like that. Life, life in him and the peace of God. To be carnally minded is death. There's no way, there's no way that it ends pretty. And so, I have learned to pray, God, I need a short rope to bring me to the end of myself. And that's what this verse does. From Ephesians chapter 5. It reminds me, and, and I, I like that one worship song that we sing. And I think it's a good prayer to pray when we find ourselves at that place of being challenged or at the end of our rope. And it's, it's uh, we sang it last week, Lord, I need you. Lord, I come, I confess. When we confess, what are we doing? We're putting ourselves on God's side. Bowing here, I find my rest without you I fall apart you're the one that guides my heart and specifically and the whole new vista and horizon and challenge of marriage that's a good place to begin and that's exactly right it brings me to the end of myself and it gives the opportunity for A new beginning in Him to bring about what I can't to His glory for our good. In First Peter, Chapter Three, Verse Seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And I like that little... uh, Warning, if you will, that's at the end of that prayer is that if I don't handle this God's way, if I don't, my prayers are going to be hindered. And God has a way of making that very evident. Most of us are familiar with the, uh, the, the uh, bracelet uh, wristband that they came out some time ago, um, WJJD. How many of you are familiar with uh, the initials WIIFM? What's, it, what's that mean, Tom? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Here you thought it might have been a radio station. No, what's in it for me? Whether I want to admit it or not, I have have another foe that's just as dangerous as Satan, and that's my flesh. What's in it for me? So I want to meddle for just a moment here. How many of uh, you guys us guys, are familiar with these words. The honeydew list. Okay. Now, in in the discussion or in the bringing up of the honeydew list, has that been a a cooperative, a unity of heart being on the same mind and the same page and that you just relish. okay, gung-ho, I'm ready to jump in with both feet, honey. Lay that list on me. I can see the guys laughing, so I can see that as a form of public confession. And I thank you that I am not alone in that matter. Thank you, Lord. The honey-do list. Woman, I have worked all week. I just want a little bit of time to myself, just a little bit. But honey, what about this? Leave me alone. Now, I would never outwardly say that. No. (laughs) No. But inwardly, but inwardly I do. And there was a cartoon a while back of a dog on Saturday morning. His name was Muttley. And whenever something didn't go right, he would, you know, he would just be grumbling to himself when something d- didn't go his way. How about so I struck a chord with the uh, with the honey list let me throw one more out for those uh, times when we go shopping and maybe it's clothes shopping um, and that's it's brought me to this conclusion that men think differently than women am I on safe ground there Thank you, brother. Boy, it's good not to be alone. (laughs) So, when I shop, I'm a man on a mission. I've done the research ahead of time. I go into the store. Now, so I could talk about fishing stuff or I could talk about things I like, but even shoes or pants, I know my size. I know sneakers and uh, tennis shoes or tennis shoes. Blue jeans or blue jeans, and boom, I go and I'm done. Now, when I go shopping, when I've gone shopping with Donna in that, just say clothing, it enters a whole different realm. One day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Well, I don't want to be in trouble here for proclaiming a false doctrine but you get you get the point that it it just even like when i want to do that and donna says no i want to shop around i want to i want to check the different prices i want to i want to she broadens the horizon (laughs) and i'm thinking to myself woman we do not have eternity here No but but I have learned, but I have learned even more so and in the in the weeks ahead, maybe somewhere down the line i I have learned to give that over to the Lord and um What I'm referencing are the five languages of love. And while I'm not going to get into that today, uh, when she asks me a question, when I communicate with her, when we interact, I have come to the place of what's the heart behind the words? What is she really asking? And I, I, have to admit, you know, that times I've probably been a real pain for Donna because I have um, when when she does this, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be a good husband and trying to hurry things up, and I only make things worse. and uh so while god has made us donna and myself one flesh there are times when i am reminded of a country song i did this just for you tom just because i know how much you love country music (laughs) when two worlds collide believe it or not yes there's a song And believe it or not, for just about everything in life you can think you can imagine, there's probably a country song for it. So let me just give you, as an extra dose, just as a little side note, Johnny Cash wrote a song called I Flushed You From the Bathroom of My Heart. I kid you not. I kid you not. I kid you not. So just when you think you've heard it all, See, he's even leaving. I I admit that was pretty bad. I kid you not. I have listened to a lot of country music, but I'll tell you what, I just thought that really has to, you got to draw the line somewhere. So, there are two things here actually three let me give you this verse in ephesians and excuse me ecclesiastes chapter four verse nine it reads starting there two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil for if they fall one will lift up his fellow but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up Again if two lie together they keep warm but how can one keep warm alone And though a man might prevail against one who is alone two will withstand him a threefold cord is not quickly broken We need that threefold we need that third cord There are no ands, ifs, or buts. It's God's doing. And even if you're single, it's God's doing. The marriage reflects our relationship with the Lord. And I so appreciate what Tom had shared about the book of Hosea. And how the Lord relentlessly pursues each one of us day after day. Just think about that for a minute. On any given day, what your life may look like. And the Lord has purposed to pursue, to sing over you, to call out to you, to draw close to you. To want to capture you in a good way with His love. And to me, in, in, this, in the marriage relationship and going to him, he is the unending well of grace. He is the unending well of salvation. He is the unending well of restoration. He is the unending well of taking everything in our life and making all things new. And so if I want to be a good steward of this wife, he has to be in an integral part of this. Because there will come a day when all of us will give an account. And I want to be able to stand with my head high, my conscience clear, my heart surrendered and say, Lord, thank you for the wife that you have given me and blessed me with, and I see your handiwork and how she, she does me good. She compliments me. She comes alongside of me. She does me no harm all the days of her life. Ladies, that's what it says about you in Proverbs 31. That isn't it for a select few. That's for all you ladies. You're priceless. That's what he says in Proverbs 31, ladies. You're priceless. And guys, when he brings up something priceless into your lives, guess what? That is a huge find. And it's not coincidence. So in communication, I talked about communication. There's one thing what I want to share with you is this real quickly and that is this. In James 1, when I think about communication, I think about speaking. But in James chapter 1, verse 19, there's an order to communication. James 1, 19, be slow to speak. Swift to hear. Slow. And you know what? I would not have expected anger to be at the last point of that verse. But that tells me something. That tells me that there was a misalignment. If I, if I get that out of order, there's going to be a misalignment and anger could very well be the outcome. And I think being slow to speak is purposeful to hear the heart behind the words. And in the hearing, I purpose and for us submit to you that we have one ear positioned to God and the other ear positioned to the heart of the person we're talking with. And to capture exactly what they're saying, what's going on, and then I can tell you and I believe that God, and in that in with the other ear that's positioned to him, God knows what's going on. And for him to whisper in your ear while you're listening, he'll whisper in your ear what to say back. With the goal of being united, with the goal of, of being on the same page when we, when we, if there's something that we need to communicate about, but that we're on the same page of the same heart and of the same mind. The last the last thing I want to share is now you'll find this a little bit surprising maybe, but you know what? There's there's really there's one thing that really does irk me about NCIS. Now you know that I like Hogan Cereals and you know that I like NCIS, so I'm not gonna sit there and poop you know, puff it up and that kind of thing. But there's one thing that really irks me. Believe it or not, I'm going on record. It irks me. And that is there was a comment that made that Leroy Jethro Gibbs made about never say you're sorry. It's a sign of weakness. Wrong. Gibbs, you need a head slap. There is a danger if, if conflict or there's a miscommunication and there's an issue arise. There is great danger if things are unresolved. Saying you're sorry and that asking for forgiveness is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and it's taking God's action to make sure that the enemy doesn't get in there to do his dirty work. And as a matter of fact, it's called keeping short accounts. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Most of us are familiar with that go-to promise in 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Boy, am I glad of that. To forgive us, our sins, to send them away. But it doesn't stop there. But to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a new opportunity. That's a new beginning from the one who takes all things and is able to make them new and have a new beginning. A new heart. A clean heart. An upright heart. A joyful heart. That's what he brings with that promise. But there's another aspect of repentance that I think that deserves equal attention. And that is not only the confessing of our sin, but in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 11, it talks about carefulness of heart. It talks about in the matter that we were struggling with, that we show ourselves clear. And so the uh, the other the other part of repentance that I think is is crucial is that there's, we that he promises with the gift of repentance to give us carefulness of heart that we don't tread down that same road but that we can take the higher road, that we can take his path, that if we're serious, we can exercise discernment through him, discretion through him, and show ourselves clear in this matter, and that we exercise great carefulness. Mm -hmm. And so, in the end, Marriage is God's doing and it takes work. But I want to be perfectly clear that with the work, God gives grace. And how does he do that? In Proverbs, one of the phrasings that you will see is that I have taught thee, I have taught thee, I instruct thee. And so whenever we get into the word, Scripture gives us the promise that all Scripture is profitable. I shared this the, other, the last time I spoke. All Scripture is profitable. It's advantageous. It's to our advantage. And that's huge. That when God puts a, a list, for example, of, of what love looks like in 1 Corinthians 13 and reveals what, how He loves us and that this is what I'm calling you to, He enables us to do that. But it means going to Him. That's why I so appreciate that song, Lord, I bow, I confess. There are times when you have seen me come up here, I'll even do it back in my seat there. There is something significant, and while we have liberty in the Spirit, there is something significant about bending the knee and my flesh can sit there and say i don't have to i have liberty hogwash in my inner man i choose to bend the knee before the king of kings and the lord of lords who knows me better than i myself and and breaks those things that i don't like and that even so he doesn't like that i can be more intimate with him and that he can be that i can be all that he wants me to be and Enjoy the relationship that he wants me to have with him. And I don't want to miss out on the blessing of that unspeakable, inexpressible, two wonderful words gift of relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the magnificence, for the gift, for the representation, for the blessing of marriage. And Lord, this day, I want to lift all of us up to you. We are wedded to you. You are the bridegroom and we are the bride. We love you, Lord. And we thank you that you left heaven and came to earth and pursued us and sought us out. You paid for us with your precious blood to redeem us to yourself. Lord, don't stop calling out to us. We purpose to draw close to you we say we love you lord you're the lover of our souls you're our exceeding great reward you are a portion you are a prize lord going forward give us your eyes to see Every, every relationship we have, give us your eyes to see. And Lord, I ask for us as husbands, yes, we tremble at those words of husbands love your wives, but we ask, Lord, for your unending, unfailing, amazing, abounding grace to demonstrate every day with unending vigor and relentlessness your love to those jewels you have given to us as wives. In Jesus' name, amen.